Welcome to MD Listen, a podcast series brought to you by MD Online. MD Listen aims to keep you informed of the latest developments in medicine and clinical practice. Follow this page on your favorite listening platform and stay informed as new programs become available. You can also listen to this program on md-online.com where you can access program slides and download a transcript of today's program. This program was developed by the Canadian Collaborative Research Network and was supported through an unrestricted educational grant received from HLS Therapeutics. Our program today is entitled Icosapent Ethyl for Cardiovascular Risk Reduction, Who and When? My name is Milan Gupta from McMaster University and CCRN, and I'm pleased to be joined today by my good colleague, Dr. Sean Goodman from the University of Toronto and St. Michael's Hospital. Sean, welcome. Thanks, Milan. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Uh, this podcast is the first in a series of podcast programs uh, on this title. Uh, the next podcast coming soon will be focused on triglycerides, so watch out for that one. So, uh, Sean, today we're going to talk about um, the role of managing the risk associated with high triglycerides in trying to reduce cardiovascular events. Um, as you know, we have long debated uh, in the medical literature whether triglyceride levels predict risk and whether or not uh, should be a target of therapy. And so by way of introduction, I thought I would just go over a little bit of the data that we have um, before turning it over to you. Uh, you know, we've done some very large contemporary trials of LDL lowering, notably uh, the most recent trials being Fourier and Odyssey Outcomes. Both of these trials were conducted in really quite high-risk ASCVD patients um, who had a PCSK9 inhibitor uh, compared to placebo when added to standard treatment. And while both trials were positive and uh, patients achieved very low LDL levels, we saw that even in patients with such low on-treatment LDL levels, at roughly three to four years, their risk of having a recurrent cardiovascular event ranged from 12 to 14%. And we term that residual risk. So even though the LDL is under excellent control and these patients are receiving all of the other evidence-based therapies, they continue to accrue risk. Now, we know that cardiovascular risk uh, is due to many different factors, uh, diabetes, hypertension, inflammation, thrombosis. But one of the lipid risk factors or markers uh, that has caused us a lot of uh, controversy uh, over the years has been serum triglycerides. I think uh, perhaps the most definitive evidence uh, to date came to us by way of the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration, who in uh, really a meta-analysis of over 300,000 patients showed a strong linear relationship between non-fasting triglycerides and risk of ischemic heart disease, and a separate, not so strong, but significant relationship between triglycerides and ischemic stroke. We also have very contemporary data from the province of Ontario, 
in the Canhart study, where roughly 200,000 ASCVD patients were uh, e evaluated, showing that same linear relationship between triglycerides and cardiovascular risk. So, Sean, maybe I'll get you to uh, give us uh, some of your thoughts on this. I think triglycerides, we can agree, predict risk. If you have elevated triglycerides, you're at higher risk than if you have normal triglycerides. The, the question that comes from that is, does lowering triglycerides make a difference? And we have done a number of studies, particularly using fish oils to try to answer this question. I wonder if you might uh, take us through this, Sean. Sure, uh, the uh, fish oil approach, uh, in particular to lower triglycerides, has obviously been undertaken over many years. Uh, but um, the challenge, of course, uh, like anything, um, is, is to get uh, the sort of right combination and permutation uh, that confers uh, a benefit uh, in clinical outcomes, not just uh, hopefully in, in things like triglyceride lowering, uh, but is also, is, safe, is also safe. And uh, typically commercial fish oils, things that we can buy over the counter without really any regulatory oversight, uh, they're really sort of a bouillabaisse, base, a, a mixed bag. Um, and they contain a, a variety of things, uh, including a mixture of the omega-3 um, and or the omega-6 fatty acids that purportedly have benefits uh, from a triglyceride lowering and maybe some other benefits uh, as well. And so I, I think some of the uh, earlier studies uh, that we can talk about further uh, that use sort of uh, a grab bag of, of, of fish oils, um, they probably didn't have the right components. And so uh, the omega-3 has been really the, the focus. And then we can even drill down further uh, that uh, omega-3 fatty acids their probably most active ingredients uh, are, are two sort of compounds uh, that are very similar, um, but, but differ. Um, and uh, so that's DHA and EPA, uh, the latter uh, EPA standing for uh, eicosapentaenoic acid. And um, there is, of course, now a highly purified form of EPA, uh, and that's uh, eicosapentaethyl. And so this is something that was particularly uh, unique um, and uh, was uh, recently demonstrated, as we'll discuss further, uh, uh, to be of significant benefit in the reduced trial. But I, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about, uh, very briefly, uh, about the differences even between uh, DHA uh, and EPA, uh, because uh, besides having a few different uh, numbers of carbon bonds uh, and, and, and double bonds at a molecular level, um, this is probably important as it relates uh, to their independent uh, effects on, for example, the membrane structure and the distribution of cholesterol, as one example, the ability to inhibit um, oxidation of lipids um, and uh, the ability to inhibit the formation of, of crystals, the cholesterol crystals that can actually uh, protrude into, you know, the coronary artery or in, in any uh, of the arteries, uh, arterial tree in the body. In contrast, the DHA components um, are, don't uh, contribute in the same way that EPA does uh, to the sort of stability uh, of the membrane. They don't see uh, DHA doesn't have to, uh, the same sort of antioxidant uh, content 
Um, and, and so there's reason to believe uh, that we uh, ultimately need something very purified out of this starting point of fish oils and then uh, uh, down to omega-3 fatty acids before we can get something uh, that has um, a beneficial effect. Now, uh, you know, Millen, we, we, we've obviously uh, uh, lived through a number of triglyceride-lowering outcome studies over the course of time uh, with other uh, therapies uh, like fibrates, uh, which are commercially available, uh, like niacin. Um, the challenge, of course, is that in all of those uh, trials, um, particularly uh, when they were added to statin therapy uh, in appropriate patients, uh, there was triglyceride lowering, uh, but there was no uh, improvement in clinical outcomes. So no particular uh, benefits uh, that were seen. Uh, and so while um, we can come at this from a uh, let's lower the triglycerides because of what you nicely discussed before, that will in theory, translate to a reduction in cardiovascular outcomes because triglycerides are clearly at least a marker uh, uh, for high risk. Thus far, um, any of the uh, triglyceride-lowering uh, therapies uh, in clinical trials have been uh, reasonably uh, uh, you know, underwhelming or uh, one could say really disappointing. And um, there are, of course, a number of meta-analyses that have since uh, come along uh, to pool all of the large uh, clinical outcome uh, trials uh, that have looked at um, things like fibrates, uh, uh, niacin, but also uh, fish oils in, in particular. Um, and um, uh, there's a whole sort of laundry list uh, acronyms that people are probably familiar with, the ASCEND trial, Omega, um, Origin, Vital Strength, uh, a, a more recent study. But uh, all of these uh, studies uh, in, in a recent meta-analysis uh, meta of fish oils um, you know, even though one can demonstrate compared to placebo control reductions in triglycerides, we really haven't been impressed in any way uh, with the reduction in um, overall outcomes. There might be a really tiny signal uh, with respect to lowering of coronary heart disease events, uh, but not statistically significant, uh, even in a meta-analysis. Um, and then there's been some concern that there might be an increased risk um, uh, you know, some of the benefits of some of these therapies, including fish oils, might be their antiplatelet effects. Um, but uh, in the brain, that could lead potentially to an increased risk uh, of bleeding. Um, and so numerically, um, uh, you know, there was no difference in stroke outcomes uh, with respect to fish oil uh, trials. But, you know, numerically, there were some concerns uh, uh, that uh, overall really didn't make it um, an attractive therapy, i.e. just general fish oils uh, as a means of lowering triglycerides that would translate into clinical outcome benefits. Okay, thanks, Sean. Um, that's very helpful and, you know, a little sobering that we have such strong evidence that higher triglycerides seem to be bad for you, but we haven't been able to find a way to reduce that risk. Uh, that is until now. So you mentioned icosapent ethyl, a very purified prescription form of EPA. Uh, that uh, entity was tested in the recent Reducid trial. And just by way of background, there was an earlier study years ago called the Jealous study that was uh, conducted in Japan with a lower dose of EPA. And uh, that trial had some methodologic flaws, but at the end of the day, 
it did show a significant reduction in cardiovascular events with pure EPA. The reduced trial builds on that using this now purified form of EPA called icosapentethyl, or shortened to IPE. In Reduce-It, they enrolled high-risk patients across the board, either those who already had established CVD and, had, uh, and were at least 45 years of age, or those who were 50 or older with diabetes and additional risk factors, but who did not yet have overt CVD. These patients had to have a triglyceride level fasting of over 1.5 millimoles per liter, and they had to have a reasonable LDL level, anything under 2.6. They were then randomized to icosapentethyl 2 grams BID, so a fairly high dose, or placebo. This was a fairly standard high-risk uh, patient uh, population. Uh, about 70% of them fell into the secondary prevention cohort. Uh, statin use was uh, excellent with uh, the overwhelming majority on moderate to high intensity statin. And the baseline LDL level was around 1.9 to 2. So well-treated patients with respect to LDL, the baseline triglyceride level was 2.4. Remember, it had to be above 1.5 to get into the study. The study was uh, an astounding, astounding success. At about five years, the broad primary composite endpoint was reduced by 25%, very highly significant number needed to treat of 21 at five years. The key secondary endpoint that we're used to when we compare trials, CV death, MI, and stroke, was reduced by 26%, also highly significant, with a number needed to treat of 28. Impressively, we also saw a significant 20% reduction in cardiovascular death in favor of IPE with a trend but non-significant reduction in total mortality. There were a couple of key findings from subgroups. The patients that had CVD clearly benefited. The patients that had diabetes with risk factors had, the, had a similar magnitude of benefit, suggesting concomit, uh, uh, consistent benefit uh, across these two different patient types, and also patients with lower versus higher triglycerides within the context of having to have elevated triglycerides to get in also had similar benefit. IPE was very well tolerated. The only uh, adverse events that were significantly more frequently noted in the icosapentethyl arm were peripheral edema, uh, constipation, and interestingly, atrial fibrillation. However, there was no increase in stroke. If anything, there was a reduction in stroke. And then in a very recent analysis, very provocative analysis, uh, the investigators showed us that the overwhelming majority of the benefit seen with icosapentethyl 
was not driven by lowering of triglycerides, but in fact was driven by how high the EPA levels were in the serum. So here for the first time, we've shown that if we use triglycerides as a marker of risk within a high-risk population, and then use a specific agent, in this case, icosapent, ethyl, we can actually reduce major hard cardiovascular events. So Sean, you know, I'd like you to maybe comment a little bit or reflect on your opinion of the REDUCE IT trial. Uh, and then let's just have a bit of a discussion about how do we uh, operationalize these findings in clinical practice? How do we find the right patient uh, who should be on icosapent ethyl for optimal risk reduction? Thanks, Millen. I, I think that this is a, an incredibly impressive trial uh, that can be immediately translated uh, into uh, benefit for our patients. And uh, as a cardiologist uh, like yourself, uh, the vast majority of the patients uh, that I think this trial and these results are applicable to are those with clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And in my practice, that's mainly going to be coronary artery disease like prior myocardial infarction, uh, but even stable uh, coronary artery disease uh, and, and um, uh, patients who have polyvascular disease that don't just have uh, coronary disease, but have uh, disease in other arterial beds like peripheral arterial disease of the lower extremities or cerebrovascular disease. Um, you know, the trial uh, included that uh, broad group of individuals with a clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. They did set a sort of lower threshold uh, in terms of age. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I think, and having participated in other trials uh, myself, um, you know, you always have to uh, start with a high enough risk patient population to be able to show a benefit or a potential benefit of a therapy. Um, it's not to say uh, that I don't think that um, uh, IPE uh, would be beneficial to somebody who's 44 years of age versus 46 years of age if they otherwise uh, met the sort of eligibility uh, uh, criteria. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to, to lower that age. Uh, myself clinically. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, the question around uh, what is an elevated triglyceride is, uh, is, uh, is an open question. Uh, the, the trial, again, uh, like any good trial, has to have a definition. Um, and that, uh, as you mentioned before, came in around the lower sort of threshold, came in around uh, triglycerides of 1.5. Uh, you know, back when I started looking after patients uh, 25, 30 years ago, uh, that would have been uh, 1.5 wouldn't have been considered uh, elevation of triglycerides. But as you nicely described before, uh, it's a continuous relationship uh, between triglyceride so-called elevation or at least uh, numeric uh, values of triglycerides and increased risk of all kinds of cardiovascular events including all-cause mortality. Um, so again, one could argue that's a somewhat arbitrary window, but I, but I think it's a reasonable starting uh, point, even as you nicely point out, uh, that um, the IPE benefit here is probably driven a lot by things other than triglyceride lowering. Uh, so I think that that's the patient population. It, it's a fairly broad patient population. Um, of course, we're going to focus on other um, modifiable risk factors, as you mentioned at the beginning, like lowering LDL cholesterol, uh, but uh, we, we know about the residual risk despite uh, therapy like statin uh, in individuals uh, whose, let's say, LDL cholesterol is, uh, you know, 
decently controlled or, or, or in the target range that the clinician and the patient are, are, are happy with on statin. Um, I think uh, if the triglycerides are above 1.5 and they've got some of those other clinical cardiovascular risk uh, features, um, I, I think it's uh, really a no-brainer to initiate um, uh, uh, icosapentethyl. So, so uh, you know, I completely agree with you, Sean. I, just a couple of clarifications for our uh, audience. Um, what about the patient then with diabetes and risk factors, but who doesn't have ASCVD? They were a yeah. substantial subgroup of reduce it, seemingly consistent benefit. Would you would you consider them for treatment? Absolutely. Uh, I. Uh, don't typically see those individuals in my routine clinical practice, and that's why I focused on the clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease uh, sort of cohort. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, those individuals who are 50 years of age uh, or older uh, who had diabetes and at least one risk factor uh, for cardiovascular or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, uh, even if they didn't have yet manifest atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, uh, those individuals uh, benefited. Um, uh, to the same degree um, as those with clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And so I think uh, it, based on our previous understanding that uh, people who have diabetes, particularly of a, a reasonable duration and or, you know, uh, mid to older age, uh, and, and then if you add another risk factor on top of it, their um, risk of having a cardiovascular event or dying from a cardiovascular event is probably almost identical to who somebody who's had, you know, myocardial infarction 10 years ago. You know, this trial um, reminds me, and I risk uh, giving away our age, Sean, it reminds <laughs> me a lot of the HOPE study with Ramipril, right. which was done in a fairly similar sort of heterogeneous population, right? Secondary prevention and those with diabetes and risk factors and showed that Ramipril actually reduced cardiovascular risk. And our guidelines changed uh, such that everyone with diabetes over the age of 50 or a certain duration of diabetes, the guidelines said add an ACE inhibitor for vascular protection. And this sort of falls into that same boat, wouldn't you say? I agree. I agree. This is a, a quote-unquote vascular protective approach, and uh, it's been demonstrated, as you say, with ACE inhibition, like in the, in the HOPE trial. Uh, we, of course, are going to manage uh, these uh, patients with uh, clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. As I mentioned, LDL lowering, uh, there will be anti-thrombotic or antiplatelet therapy. Uh, but the residual risk uh, beyond, uh, you know, that uh, management, I think, demands uh, an additional therapy, uh, and, and in this case, we've got the great reduce the trial results that can target really probably a whole bunch of things, not only uh, triglyceride reduction, but probably there's some anti uh, sort of thrombotic antiplatelet effect uh, of the purified EPA of IPE. Uh, there uh, is uh, demonstrated uh, inflammation, uh, measures of inflammation reduction. So there's probably an anti-inflammatory uh, effect that contributes. So I think um, having this unique therapy to target uh, other aspects of the uh, residual uh, um, sort of cardiovascular risk um, is uh, it's, it's a welcome uh, therapy for sure. Now, let me ask you one other thing, a practical matter for our, uh, our uh, listeners. Do, you, do we need to get a fasting triglyceride level in order to determine whether a patient qualifies for ethyl, or can a non-fasting sample, which is what we generally order for risk assessment, can a non-fasting sample be used? 
I think in the vast majority of uh, cases, uh, both for measuring triglycerides and other aspects of the lipid profile, uh, a non-fasting uh, approach uh, is uh, the way to go. Um, uh, as you know, you know the guidelines uh, that you are part of in Canada and elsewhere in the world, uh, based on a number of, of studies, have made the recommendation that uh, uh, we routinely uh, sort of check lipid profiles, including triglycerides, uh, in, in a non-fasting uh, way. Uh, this makes it easier for the patient. Uh, and it the you know the triglycerides are probably the the most sensitive to a fasting versus non-fasting state, uh, but unless the triglycerides are extremely elevated, in which case one can always, uh, in a very small minority of cases, repeat uh, uh, when a patient's been fasting. Um, in, in the vast majority of cases, uh, you know the information is going to be uh, valuable, and so this is another sort of art uh, rather than the science of medicine, where I would say even though a clinical trial, understandably, like Reduce It, would uh, demand uh, a lipid profile, including triglycerides uh, that are, you know, in a fasting state, uh, I, I, I'd be uh, quite um, uh, content, or I am in, in clinical practice, uh, to just use um, a, a non-fasting uh, sample. Yeah, I agree completely. And my last uh, point, uh, Sean, is, you know, you, you discussed with us the difference between standard over-the-counter fish oils uh, the different uh, combinations of EPA, DHA in various fish oils, uh, and how icosapent ethyl is different. But again, to drive home the point, is there any way we could try to mimic these reduce it results by using our favorite over-the-counter fish oil? Unfortunately, it's a definitive no. <laughs> uh, uh, it would be great uh, if we could, uh, but um, as, as we discussed, uh, it's, it's taken this very highly purified form of fish oil uh, uh, down to even uh, breaking down the uh, omega fatty acids and purifying them sort of even further uh, to EPA specifically, uh, the IPE uh, uh, product here. Uh, that's really the only um, uh, therapy that's been demonstrated to improve outcomes uh, in the reduce trial, and you mentioned the previous JELUS uh, study. Uh, so we need, a, uh, it appears we need a very purified and high dose. And if you try to get the equivalent um, in, um, in, you know, sort of over-the-counter uh, fish oils, um, my understanding would be to even get those types of levels, you'd be having like bucketfuls, um, you know, a couple times a day uh, versus this two simple pills, two grams a day of, of IPE. Uh, plus, there's a whole bunch of uh, kind of toxins and other things that unfortunately uh, get into, uh, and mercury and other things that get into sort of uh, 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 fish oil. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we can't get this. Uh, we can't get this effect uh, from over-the-counter fish oils. Right. No, I agree. Unfortunately, we can't, but now at least we have this option for our patients with residual risk with, you know, really outstanding results in the reduced trial. Sean, I really want to thank you. It's always fun uh, chatting with you about these topics. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks as well uh, to HLS Therapeutics for their grant allowing uh, CCRN to develop this podcast. Uh, don't uh, forget to follow this page. Uh, on your favorite listening platform so you can uh, access new programs as they become available. As a reminder, you can also listen to this program at mdonline.com uh, and there you can also uh, access uh, program slides 
and a transcript of today's program. Sean, thanks so much. Thank you.